0: Father, I just want to thank you um, for this opportunity to go through your word, and I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me, Lord, that you would speak to me, you would speak to all of us here, Lord, um, that your word would come alive, Lord. Um, Yeah, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand what it is you have for us today, and then more importantly, help us to put that into practice. Uh, May it not just become head knowledge, but may it really affect our heart, our lives and our actions in everything that we do. By your Holy Spirit, guide me. May you speak through me. May we draw closer to you tonight. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So as we've been doing the last few weeks, we've been looking through Judges, the book of Judges, which has been a really cool book, especially like last week. I mean, man, big fat guy getting stabbed, but so fat, he's fat, swallows the sword. I think I'm going to like the book of Judges. Anyway, unfortunately, we're going to be taking a detour from Judges, and we're going to actually be looking just at the first chapter of Revelation this week. Just a slight detour, and then PT will be bringing, will be then covering through Judges again, picking up where we left off last week in Judges. But this week, we'll be looking at Revelation chapter one. And as we sang in that last song. That we just sang, Um, and the the lyrics are my closest friend still on the throne, Uh, and this is this idea that as Christians we have this hope, that as Christians um, our closest friend, our saviour, our king and our lord is on the throne, he is above all things um, and he is in control, Um, And I love that lyric because you get this intimacy. You get this intimacy of that closeness of a friend and yet you're reminded of God's ultimate power. Uh, And as we go through today, we'll be looking at the first chapter of Revelation and we're going to be having uh, this encounter. We're going to be having this this vision of Jesus on the throne in his glory. Um, And as we read through this, I want us to kind of read through this with this idea and with this question. Because the truth is that Jesus is on the throne. And one day, everybody will be in agreement with that. One day, we will all be before that throne. As it says there, all knees will bow. There's no doubting that he is on the throne. And one day, we'll all agree with that. But in the meantime, before that day, is the question, will we live in light of that fact? Or will we live a life which denies that? Will we live in a way which shows that Jesus is on the throne and acknowledges that he is on the throne? Or will we choose to believe a lie instead and ignore the truth? So the question as we go through this is who is on the throne of my life? So let us look. We'll be in chapter 1 of Revelation and to give you Actually, we'll begin reading it and then we'll kind of then talk a bit about the background of it. So, so Revelation and chapter 1 and verse 1, it says this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel Right at the beginning, as we enter this, we're only looking at the first chapter, but here we get an introduction to this whole book. That this is the revelation of Jesus Christ; it is his revelation. And we find out here that the author, the writer, is John, and we see we'll see that it is this vision put before John. And who is this John? Who is this guy called John? We find out as we read through Scripture that this John is John the disciple of Jesus the disciple whom Jesus loved. We see that this is the same author who wrote the Gospel of John and the letters of 1 John, 2 John and 3 John. Uh, In terms of where this falls into kind of history, we find that this is after Jesus has died on the cross for our sins. He is risen again, appeared to his disciples and ascended into heaven. And at that point, the disciples go and spread this good news, this gospel and we see that it explodes, and we see that ultimately the church is born. And then we'll carry on. In verse 4, it says this, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests, to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him. Even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So we see in verse 4, this is John writing this, and we have this beautiful intro which is so of beautiful truths. First of all, it says, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And we see that that statement again, who is and who was and who is to come right at the end in verse 8 of what we just read. Here we see that God is the one who was, who is and who is to come. The idea of the past, the present and the future. This idea is before we showed up, before we came along, God was. God had a story already going on. He was already at work. He was already in existence before we turned up. He was long before we ever came into being. But then we also see that he is, that God is current. God is in the now, God is in the moment, God is active, he is. But then we also see that God is to come, that the future belongs to him. Later on we'll kind of see a statement of this, which is, he is the first and the last. And we kind of see that in verse 8, where God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I love this, there is nothing that was before God and there is nothing that is after God. As if everything is contained with him, there is nothing outside of him. There is nothing greater than him, nothing that was before him and there will be nothing that will outlive him. He is the beginning and the end. And that word alpha and omega, those are the first letters. Uh, the first letter and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And it's once again reaffirming that idea. It's, look, God, there is, He is the beginning, He is the end, and nothing is outside of Him. And then it carries on. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Once again, we see that Jesus is above it all and Jesus is faithful. And Jesus, by his blood, has forgiven our sins. So first of all, before we even have this kind of throne room encounter, which we'll see later on, which John has with Jesus, we see straight away that we are sinful and in need of a saviour. First of all, straight away, we are, God is compared to us and we see that we are sinful and yet God is mighty and God is powerful and wonderful and holy. Before we, we see straight away that there is that gap, there is that divide. And yet we see because Jesus loved us and has washed us by his very own blood, our sins are clean, we are forgiven of our sins. And not only has he forgiven us of our sins, but then it goes on. He says he has made us kings and priests. Jesus did not just forgive us of our sins, but then he, then he then calls us to a mission, to a purpose, to live a changed and different life. And then behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, As you, and who, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. As we read through those first few verses, this introduction, we see this, that the focus is all on God. It's all on Jesus. It's all about Him. The focus is all about Him. And then we see in verse 9, I, John, so here we've kind of seen in the first few verses, we've seen Jesus introduced. We see Jesus as somebody who loves us. We see him as the Almighty, the Alpha, the Omega, the one who was, who is and is to come. We see that he loves us, he dies for us, cleanses of our sins and then makes us kings and priests. That's all what he does. And then it comes to John. verse 9, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So here John sets the scene. He says, look, I, John, first of all, I am your brother. I am one of you guys. I am one who is a fellow Christian, a fellow believer. I am your brother. And as we read through this, we see that John is in prison. He is in prison on the island of Patmos. And this is where he gets this vision. This is where he writes this book. And there are a few things which we see. Not only does he say that he is a brother, but he is also a companion in a number of different things. Three things to be exact. He is a companion, which means he is like alongside of us. He says, Look, I am a brother, I'm a fellow Christian, and as he's writing to the believers of the time, but as we also know, he's also <laughs> in retrospect writing to us as well saying, Look, I am your brother and I am I am with you, I am your companion in these three things. First thing, I am a companion in the tribulation. The second thing, I am a companion in the kingdom and the third thing, I am a companion in the patience. So he said, look, I am with you in this, in this tribulation, in this kingdom and in this patience. He says that there is a tribulation, there is hardship, there is persecution and I am with you in it. He also says there is a kingdom, a kingdom for us to look forward to, which I am with you and there is also patience through this tribulation. And this word of Jesus Christ. We see that these three things, tribulation, kingdom, and patience, are not separate from Jesus, but they are actually of Jesus. That as we walk and give our lives to Jesus, he calls us into those moments of tribulation, he calls us to be about the work of his kingdom, and he calls us to be patient. It's it's, it's funny. Often we would see these things as being opposite to Jesus. We would see tribulation being opposite to him. But in fact, he says this. He says, look, there is some tribulation which is of me. Granted, there is suffering which is of our own doing, of our own sin. But he says that there is tribulation which you will experience because of me. And John, while he is writing this, is the living example of this. As he says this, he says, For the word of God, he says this, of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He was imprisoned on this island of Patmos because of two things, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John made a stand on two things. He stood upon the word of God and he stood upon the testimony of Jesus. And that, and that cost him. That caused him tribulation. It was not, and, and, and it's important to notice that there are moments where we stand on other things other than Jesus and we face hardship for that. But we must, be, we must be diligent in standing on not what is wrong, but on what is true. But knowing that there will be moments where that will cost us. Just as it cost John. And I love it. He's like, look, I'm standing on the word of God. I'm standing on the testimony of Jesus Christ. And the reason he could do that and the reason he could say that was because even before he sees seized, seized this amazing vision of Jesus in all of his glory, for John, Jesus was already on the throne of his life. Jesus was already the king of his life. Jesus was the Lord of his life and he would follow wherever he called him. And as we see John, one of the original 12 disciples, and as we see him writing this as he is an older man, it's important to know that the majority of the disciples and other early believers uh, were, were martyred, were killed. They, they, they did not leave, <laughs> live very long lives following Jesus. And actually we see that John is one of the few who actually ended up outliving a majority of those original disciples. So think about it. Here is John coming as an older man as he looks back at the cross. He's, he's lost his friends because of this Jesus. He's, he's now imprisoned because of his, this Jesus. He has faced persecution and hardship because of this Jesus. And he chooses to do it because, <laughs> because this Jesus is real. Because this Jesus is true. Because he has met this resurrected Jesus. And because this Jesus has commandeered that place in his heart. That place where he willingly submits to him, to Jesus, even when it costs him. And then it says this in verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying I am the Alpha and the Omega the first and the last and what you see write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia to Ephesus to Smyrna to Pergamos, to Thyatira, uh, to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned, this is John, to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass as if refined in a furnace and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Here we see John has this vision of Jesus in all of his glory and might. And there is only one response when we see Jesus in all of his holiness, his fullness and his glory. There is only one response and that is to fall down in awe as if dead. He sees there in God's glory just how small he is. And how holy this Jesus is. And he falls as if on his knees, knowing just how unworthy and how small and how little he is in comparison to this great and mighty King. But it doesn't just stop there. But this is what happens. And when I saw him, this is John, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this, the mystery of the seven churches, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands, which you saw are the seven churches. And that is our introduction to this book. As John falls in awe of this God, this almighty and holy God in all of his brightness and his majesty reaches out and lays his right hand on John. And that, that beautiful line, that beautiful picture of this this man who is broken and, and just on the floor as if he was dead and this almighty God reaches down and lays his hand upon his shoulder that is the story <laughs> the story of the gospel and the story of the Bible that we as imperfect sinners lay as John and rightly slow on our faces as if dead before an almighty and holy God and yet this almighty and holy and perfect and powerful God reaches out and lays a hand on us and says, do not be afraid. And the reason he could do that was because this same one was the one who was dead but was now alive. That this Jesus came, he entered into human history, he dies on the cross, He pays for our sin, all the wrong things that we have ever done. He takes upon himself. He dies the death that we could not die and lives the life we can never live. And then as he rises again, victorious over death, we now, as we put our faith in him, as John, as John has put his faith in Jesus, that now when we stand before Jesus, he puts his hand on us and he says, Do not be afraid. Because now, because of what he has done, we can come into his presence. We can be called his friend. And he finishes this chapter So just saying uh, in verse 19, and this is basically the premise of the whole book of Revelation. And it is this, it's very simple, it's simply this. He says, write the things which you have seen. So he says to John, look, Write the things which you have already seen. <laughs> which John has done, right? He has actually written it down. He has written that he was on Patmos and he has written that this amazing vision happens. He's like, write the things that you have seen. And he says, write the things which are. And in the next few verses, you'll see that. You'll see that as, as, as God speaks uh, uh, to these seven churches and how he seeks to correct them and to minister to them. Uh, and, and the seven churches, and it's uh, I'm kind of going through it in my own time, there's some really, really, really hard challenges. And yet Jesus does it lovingly as a Father who loves us. But then we also read this, and also the things which will take place after this. So the things which have taken place, the things which are current, the things which are now and present, and then eventually also the things that will eventually take place as well. And that is how he closes up this verse, this, this chapter. And then we see in chapter 2, if you were to then read on, it is then him addressing these seven churches, talking to them, correcting them, challenging them. As the Almighty God over everything, he sees everything. He sees how these seven churches, he sees the works and the things that they do and he sees their hearts and he challenges them. There are moments where he affirms what they are doing <laughs> and there are moments where he rebukes what they are doing for the sake that they would turn and repent. Throughout the letters to those seven churches that's a common theme. A common theme is this, Jesus saying, I know and I see everything that you have done and I affirm this and but I cannot and do not affirm this repent, turn and change your mind. And those are the in the following couple of chapters and I would encourage you to read those in your own time. But As we kind of take a look at this throne room, I want you to see and envision Jesus in all of his glory and majesty and this simple truth that Jesus is... If we have given our lives to Jesus, accepted him as our Lord and Saviour, that he calls us friends. And he is enthroned on high. And how does that change things practically? What what kind of difference does that mean to us practically? When we see John, it, for me it's clear to see that even before this amazing vision, he truly believed that Jesus was on the throne. That Jesus was above everything. That Jesus was in control. That Jesus was above everything and he fully submitted to him in light of that as we uh, wrestle with our day to day life as John obviously did we will always be tempted to put, to put we will be tempted to do a couple of different things one of the things we will be tempted to do is to replace Jesus <laughs> we will replace him with something else in our lives we will replace him with people or with, uh, with things or possessions or with wanting this or becoming this, this thought life or this or this, we, can of, we are often in danger of kicking him off the throne which he rightfully deserves. So that's one thing we're in danger of doing. And another thing we're in danger of doing is thinking that there are things above him, that there are things that he is not in control of, that there are things... <laughs> which are above him and I want us to take this away that not only is that <laughs> those things false but the truth is, is that Jesus is on the throne and we may not see it but it is, <laughs> it is true and one day we will all be in agreement of that So the question is will we live with that kind of hope that knowing no matter what we face and no matter what we are called to endure that he is ultimately in control that he is ultimately on the throne and will our actions and how we live display that truth that we truly believe he is on control and that he is our Lord that he is our King And that we would give everything (laughs) to serve him. That we would give it all. As we kind of wrap this up and begin to bring it to a close, I want to just read again this vision of Jesus. And I want us to put ourselves in the place of John. To be in awe of this Jesus and that's my prayer that we would be in awe of him and I will confess I am often not in awe of him (laughs) and often like John we need to be (laughs) need to be reminded again and brought to our knees again I imagine I wonder how much of a comfort this must, must have been to John as well as he's imprisoned, as he is away from from fellowship, and and for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of standing and making a stand upon His word and upon the testimony of Him, how much of a comfort it must have been for him to see Jesus in all of His glory, and to have that confirmation of yes, Jesus is in control; that He is the beginning, He is the end he was the one who was who is and is to come he jesus always has the final word i imagine what kind of comfort that would be to him and may it be a comfort to us as jesus calls us to enter into tribulation he calls us to enter and to live for his kingdom and to be patient in it as well. But as John, he calls us to stand on the word of God, to be planted in it, to stand and remain on it. But also to stand on the testimony of Jesus Christ. So as we leave today, my prayer is that we would be in awe as John was. And if, as I imagine John was... (laughs) if we may be like he was potentially feeling, may may Jesus meet with us in such a way where he once again confirms to us that he is on the front, that he is in control, and that he is with us as we stand on his word and in him. So let us read together as we close. He says this, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turn to see the voice that spoke with me, and his voice, as the sound of many waters, he had in his right hand seven stars. out of his mouth, out of his mouth, went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the shining, so it was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this amazing uh, vision which you have given John, where we we get a glimpse in all of your glory. And it's amazing reading how John is trying to describe this scene as he sees you in in all of your majesty. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us (laughs) to see you as John sees you as the Almighty King on the throne above everything. The first and the last, the beginning and the end. There is nothing before you and nothing after you. There is nothing above you. May you help us to remember that you are the Almighty God and that for those who have put their faith and trust in you, you call us friend. You call us sons and you call us daughters and you love us. Help us to remember that you are not only on the throne, but that you also love us. And may we have that confidence to remain and stand upon your word and your testimony, even when it costs us, knowing that you are in control and that you are above all things, above every situation and power and authority. You are in control. You love us deeply. May our lives reflect that by your Holy Spirit. Help us to live lives which are impacted by that truth. That we would be like John, not afraid to join in and and be companions of the tribulation and the kingdom and the patience of Jesus Christ. Lord, may you give us just a sense, of just that, just that awe again, Lord. May we be in awe of you. For those of us who have lost that awe, may you return it to us, even bigger and greater than before. And those of us who that awe, is, that awe of you is there, may you just increase it further. And may we long for that day when our hope is fully and finally realised, when we see you face to face in all of your glory. Father, may we be in awe of you and soften our hearts, that our very hearts would be in awe of you, that you would be on the throne of our lives as you rightly deserve. In your name, Jesus. Amen.